The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Capture your attention this morning. We're just getting back to the question, what are those basics? What makes Christianity unique? And we've seen thus far that it stands on the essentials of the Bible's uniqueness, right? The Bible's inspiration, its authority, its sufficiency for our life. Last week we answered the question, who is Jesus? He is superior. He is better. He is completely God and completely man and saves us from our sin. And today we're about to see the necessity of faith in Christ Jesus to be saved from our sin and enjoy life with God. So we're in Hebrews again. Last week we were in Hebrews 1. We're continuing with this book here. We're in Hebrews chapter 11. So turn with me if you haven't. And I'm going to read the first six verses for us. We'll look briefly at all 40, but we're going to devote the majority of our attention here to these first six verses. Follow along as I read. Answering this question, what is faith? It says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. And before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, these are profound verses. And so would you grant us understanding this morning? Would you, by your spirit, open our eyes to see the glory of who Christ is? the depth of who we are and our right response to these truths in faith. Asking you to work that this morning in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're in Hebrews, and as we saw last week, the theme of Hebrews is what? The overarching theme of this book is Jesus is better, right? He's far superior than the angels. He's superior than Moses. He's uh, superior. He's better than the high priest. He's the great prophet, priest, and king all in one person. His sacrifice is better. His sacrifice was once for all forgiven uh, for sins. And so the writer of Hebrews is making this case that Jesus is better. I'd encourage you to write that in your Bible at the very beginning where you see Hebrews chapter 1. Write that in your margins. Jesus is better. So every time you come back to this book, you will remember that is the theme. Jesus is better. Jesus is superior. And so what the writer is doing with that theme, he's now making the case when we get to chapter 11 that what this information about who Jesus is requires a response, a response of faith, which is where chapter 11 then comes in. And so it begs the question for us, what is faith? Faith is a term that we use pretty often, right? And maybe its meaning has become cloudy. 
Did you, have you ever noticed that we use faith in all kinds of contexts, not just within the church? We use faith. Uh, we have faith in our football team to draft the right players in the, this upcoming draft, right? Maybe some of you don't. You're like, oh, I'm not so sure about those Cowboys, right? I wouldn't be either. If you're a Packers fan, maybe you can have a little more uh, faith. Just kidding again. But we use it all too often. We use it all too often. So what is faith? How do we define faith? Faith defined. Here's my answer for you. Faith is the confident, transformative belief in God and his promises. Faith is the confident, transformative belief in God and his promises. Said more simply, it's believing God. It's different than believing in God. Many people believe in God, that he exists, that he's out there. They believe that there are multiple gods. Sure, there's a big man upstairs, but believing God is who the Bible says he is, and living our life differently because of that is a matter altogether different. The first is just a mental agreement to a set of facts. The second is genuine faith, a confident transformative belief in God and his promises. That's what faith is. What is faith? Just that. And so that's our definition before us. That's the definition that Hebrews 11 is uh, laying before us. But really our verses now don't necessarily define faith, but describe what faith looks like. What does believing God look like? And by no means is, are these verses here uh, exhaustive for us, but it does give us five descriptors of faith. First, in verse 1 here, faith described, faith is action. Faith is action. Look at verse 1 here with me in Hebrews 11. It gives two parallel statements, basically saying the same thing in two different ways. This assurance... Or conviction. Circle those so they uh, jump out at you the next time you read it. Assurance and conviction. They communicate the strength, the certainty, and the confidence that faith brings. It's not weak. It isn't wavering. Assurance and conviction communicates strength, confidence, certainty. But they also communicate the movement of faith. The movement of faith or faith's transformative power. Faith is not complacent and it is not stuck. What's really interesting here in these verses, it's, it's showing us that it's as if the things that we can't see, the things that we were not there to witness, those things that we can't physically touch, they are so real to us that we live our life with the confident, assured expectation that these things are real and God is who he says he is. Faith is confident. Faith is transformative. It is action. And so this begs a question here in our verse the, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Well, what do we hope for? What is it that we as believers, what is it that faith puts before us as our great hope, those future things. Well, here are three. What do we hope for? First, we hope for the Lord's return. Titus 2.13 calls this our blessed hope. When we were in 1 Thessalonians just uh, recently, we saw that this is the great hope that we have as believers, right? We've just sung of it in these songs. We long for that trumpet sound. This is the great hope that we have, that we are confident is going to happen one day. We're convicted. We are sure that this will come. What else do we hope for? We hope for heaven's rest. Hebrews 4 describes this. A day when there will be no more toil, no more stress, no more exhaustion, no more chaos, no more close calls. 
You long for that day? Especially on Fridays for some of us, right? We long for heaven's rest. This is the assurance that we have as believers that we will enter into heaven's rest, ceasing from the toils and the things that come by living in a sin-corrupted world. We hope for this, and we live our life in the confident expectation that that is surely going to happen. What else do we hope for? We hope for glorification, right? This is 1 Corinthians 15, where we have a new bodies, no more sin, no more, no, no more disease and illness. We feel this and we long for this after we've had a sickness, right? Especially a prolonged one. Like, man, can we, I can't wait to get there. That is what we hope for. That is what we long for. We know that these bodies that we have now are not the end all. But we long for a day. We hope for these things. We are sure that they are coming. That, beloved, that is faith and action. But also, what are these things not seen? He, he has these two parallel statements. It's assurance of future things, things hoped for. This conviction of things not seen. Well, I think this uh, describes things that have been happened in the past or are presently true of us now. Those things about our salvation, those things that Christ has done on our behalf, those things that are true of who we are today as believers in Christ Jesus, that are true of us that we maybe didn't witness what are these things not seen? The first is that Christ died and rose to free us from sin. Romans 3 explains this for us. This is the great truth that we have. This is what we know as redemption. That Christ did that. This is what we celebrate at Easter. We weren't there to witness it. But do you believe that it is true? That that was a real event that happened and its effects are, uh, have implications for our life. Those are things that we're not seeing. Second, what are things? I stand before God righteous and accepted in Jesus. Romans 5 explains this. Romans really 4 and 5 explain this. That right now, before heaven's throne, if we were there, we can't see this, but picture in your mind a, a, a courtroom that before God is the holy judge because of what Christ did on our behalf. This is called justification, that we are declared righteous. And we are, our sin has been forgiven and Christ's righteousness has been bestowed upon us that we are now accepted by God because of Christ Jesus. We're convinced of these things. We live in light of these things even today. Next, what else? What else are we convinced of? What are we convicted of? That sin is not my master. So Romans 6, sin is not my master. It once was. It was the voice that I always obeyed. It was what I once always chose to do, was to fulfill my own selfish desires. I was once a sinful person, only able to sin, not anymore. Because Christ freed us from that. This is what we call sanctification. Growing in our Christ-likeness. Growing in who we are as, as a Christ follower. Can't always see that. We don't know the spiritual realities of these things. We don't know the but are we convinced of it? Faith says yes. Next, I have full access to the Holy Spirit's power and presence. Romans 8. Isn't this beautiful, beloved? That not only is now sin not our master, but now God's Spirit enables us. He comes and lives within us. We are now His children, empowered by God's Spirit to choose to do what is right, to choose to follow the Lord. And out of all this, Romans 8, uh, it's, it's just a beautiful chapter, but it, it tells us also that I am loved by God. This is our adoption. 
Nothing can separate us from it. And our soul even knows us. Our soul cries out, Abba, Father. We are loved. We are deeply loved by God. And last, for these things, not saying that we are convinced of that I am chosen by God. Romans 9 goes on to explain this. Let's just, just walk you through these chapters in Romans, these things that happened in the past that are presently true about who we are, that we are convinced of. These are essentials here of what faith is, this faith in action, these things that we know are true that then inform how we make decisions and how we live our life, that I am chosen by God, I am loved by God, I am indwelled by His Spirit, I am not controlled by sin, I stand before Him righteous and accepted and loved because of what Christ did to free me from that master. And because we know these truths are certain, they give us that assurance and that conviction, right? They give us that assurance and conviction in how we view ourselves. This is our identity. We know that Christ went to great lengths to do these things, and so our life is defined by faith in what Christ has done on our behalf. We have to anchor ourselves here when we doubt it, when we're not feeling it, when things around us are maybe uh, going haywire, we anchor ourselves here. This is our identity. This is who I am. This is how I view myself, and this is how I make decisions. I know that these things are true. I have new priorities in how I live my life. I have new priorities in, in the decisions that I make and how I live my life and what I purchase and what jobs I take and where I decide to live. We, we have a different mentality. All these things filter into how we live our life. Because we know these truths are certain, they give us this assurance and conviction in how we love others as well. And how we view them, even when we're hurt and offended, we can treat them better, we can forgive, because we have been forgiven. These truths we know that we're confident of, that we're sure in this faith that is in action, we can treat others well, because have we been treated well by the Lord? We better believe it. So faith is inaction. Faith is, is not something that is complacent. Faith is not something that is stuck. Faith is not something that is dead. But faith, rather, is that confident, transformative belief, is it not? And so here we have we, faith is action. Faith is here. Let's examine our life this morning. Let's examine the truth that we just hear. Do my actions reflect my convictions? Do my actions reflect my convictions? How I view myself, how I make decisions, how I love others, do they reflect my convictions? It's actually kind of a trick question because they do. Your actions do reflect your convictions, so what are they really reflecting? Are they reflecting an assurance, a deep, abiding conviction in Christ and what he has done in your life? Or do they reflect your position in the company, the neighborhood that you live in, the vehicle that you drive, the friends that you have? What, can, what are you convicted of? When you face change, are you in the midst of a trial? Do you remain steadfast, confident? Or do you fret, yell at God, doubt his goodness, look elsewhere for comfort? Do your actions reflect these convictions? This is faith, a faith that gives us assurance and conviction. Examine your heart. Examine your heart. Look at verse 2. Faith is also basic. See, this, verse 1 here is this grand description of what faith is. This transformative this convicted, confident, transformative belief in God. This isn't anything that is new. It's basic. 
says, for by the people of old received their commendation. Salvation by faith alone has always been the plan. It's not it's something that is new for us who today are reading these truths. It's not for us who are just for us that are on this side of Christ's coming. There's never been any other means to know God. And the writer of Hebrews here is going to great lengths to show that this is the case. The Old Testament law had been misunderstood and even misapplied because it wasn't meant ever to save anybody. God knew it was impossible. God knew that nobody would be able to keep it. Its purpose, the law's purpose, was to teach godliness, to point out sin and really drive people to faith. As a bad taskmaster. This is how he, he, he goes on, he'll say by faith, is, this is how Abraham received his commendation. He's, he's going all the way through to pointing out these Old Testament examples that this is how it was always. This is basic. It's fundamental to what faith is, to being declared right, to being in relationship with the Lord. This has always been the case. People of old, this is how they received it. Abraham says in Genesis 15, 6, that he believed the Lord. The Lord counted it to him as righteousness. It was counted to him. It was credited to him to where he was declared righteous. God made himself known. He made a promise with Abraham. Even a people, land, a people, blessing. And Abraham took God at his word. He had faith, confident, transformative belief that governed how he lived his life and the decisions that he made, the places that he moved, the people that he associated with. Faith, this is the case. It's in the Minor Prophets, Habakkuk 2.4. You're like, Habakkuk, what? Yeah, it's one of the minor prophets. It's back there. It's a mouthful. But those faith, they said that the righteous shall live by his faith. The back of the before. Old Testament, Old, Te- Old Testament narrative, Old Testament prophets. And now Hebrews 11. You're probably familiar with it. Hebrews 11 is going through example after example, all to show us that faith is basic to following the Lord. It has always been God's plan and always will be faith in Christ alone. It's always been the plan. So let's examine our life. What are we trusting today? Are we trusting something like good works to save us? Are we trusting in Christ? Are we minimal? They got this wrong sometime, didn't they? They thought that they could earn favor with God. As they just did the, the law, they did all these things, and then they set up other laws so they would be sure not to, to uh, fail at these things. They had all these things set up that would hopefully just one day cancel out the bad. Trusting that, or are we trusting in faith? It was how we are saved, case then, it's the case now. Are we trusting these good works? Is that why you give money to charity? Is that why you help your neighbor? Is that why you volunteer time at your kid's school or your club or do the things that you do? None of that gets you commendation with God. By faith we are saved, and then we do those things. And don't get that order mixed up. Not mixing, not mixing it up, not getting that wrong is really dependent upon really this next verse here where it goes in verse 3. Faith is basic. It's action. It's basic. But it's also supernatural. Faith is supernatural. Faith originates in God himself. He gives us the understanding and the ability to see. Verse 3 here, as you read it, verse 3 is less an argument to believe the biblical account of creation. Okay, it, it just assumes that we do. It says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. It's not necessarily an argument saying you must believe in biblical account of creation. It assumes that we do. It's right that we do. It's scriptural that we do. It's more of a point that nobody was there to, at the beginning to witness the creation account. Nobody was there. Only the Trinity was there. 
And so God gives us faith and understanding that he spoke it into existence. And so too, faith is created in us by God. He speaks and we come to life. The universe wasn't created there by visible matter, other things coming in its own creation and coming to life on its own, just as faith was not created on its own. What is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This faith that is active, this faith that is basic, this faith that is a confident, transformative belief in our life was given to us as a gracious gift by God. Take this painting, for example. Not this side. This side. My son commented on it as I was carrying it in here, and he said, Daddy, that's just a bunch of scribble scrabbles. He could be right. He could be right. But take this painting, for example. Anyone know who created it? Who painted this? Anybody have any ideas? We could study it for a lifetime, and we could never know the artist, the creator. We could study it. We could look at the brush strokes. We could look at the mixtures of colors. We could uh, theorize, you know, well, it was painted probably in this era because it fits certain trends of the, the painting and the artistry and the creation of, of those days. We could go on and on. We could look at this painting. But unless I tell you that this is my was created by my brother-in-law, Matthew Rogers. You would never know who created this. But as a gift, I'm telling you, it was painted by him. He's a grown man, too, but he painted this. But, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a brilliant guy. He's just into abstract art. But unless I told you, you would not know who made it. None of us were there when he created it. I wasn't even uh, there, and I'm not putting myself in the place of God. But by faith, you'll have to believe me that he was the one to create this. So too is faith. As we look at creation, none of us is there. So by faith, God gives us faith. He gives us his word, and we, we believe it in faith. We trust in him. This is what faith is. It's given to us by God. It's his voice that we trust. As you examine your heart this morning, as you look at your faith, whose voice do you trust? Whose voice do you trust this morning? Is it your own limited ability to reason? I'll just submit to you, rationalism is not the king. Don't misunderstand me, though. Faith is not unreasonable, but it is also beyond our capacity. So we trust the Lord in faith is it something else that we're trusting? Somebody else, what? Some other self-help guru that is pampering our pride? What, whose voice is loudest? Can you hear the voice of the shepherd calling to you? Calling you to himself. And are you acting in it? Faith is that confident, transformative belief that we can hear God. Now he's speaking to us. This is what faith is. This is fundamental. This is what people have died to proclaim. That faith in Christ is the way to salvation. But faith is also personal. Faith is personal. He goes on then in, in, in verse 4 and 5. And then picks it up again in verse 7 all the way to the end of verse 40. Showing us real life examples of real life people who had faith in God, believing his promises. Sixteen different people are mentioned, beginning with Abel. There's a lot about Abraham and Moses. And then there's some that are just mentioned. He says, and there's not even room to write about all of them. But each of them, 
had their own circumstances, and each was saved by faith in God, believing in his promises in their specific instances. So much so that they made major life decisions based on what God had said and moved. They moved their whole family. It was personal to them, not just a cultural thing that they happened to be born into. It wasn't just uh, something that they were just thrust into. We see here Noah built an ark despite ridicule. Abraham left his hometown where he had grown up, where all his family was, and he went out. He was sent out not knowing where he was going, but he believed God. Sarah trusted God's promise that she would bear a son despite a womb that was closed for 90 years. Moses rejected wealth and power to follow the Lord and lead his people into the promised land. Man who was well aware of his own shortcomings, his own inability to communicate, his own leadership incapacities. Trusted the Lord. Rahab left behind a life of prostitution to follow the Lord and be an instrument in leading God's people into the promised land. She was used of God to be a fulfillment of that. She had faith. See, this faith was personal. And it was something that we must individually embrace. Faith is personal, but it's not private. Right? Faith is personal. It's something that you must come to reckon with, but it is not private. This confident, transformative belief is not kept quiet. It isn't just like fire insurance policy that you never tell anybody about. You meet with somebody and get it, and then that's the end of it. No, it's personal. You must deal with it on your own. You must take these, these facts. You must wrestle with who Jesus said he was and what the word communicates to us who he is and what it requires as a response and make it personal, but it is not private. See, it's communal. But it's also not catch-all. Just because we're born into America or into a Christian family doesn't make you a Christian. Doesn't make you a Christian. Just like being born in the Middle East doesn't necessarily make you a Muslim or being born in any sort of country or tribe or whatever is the cultural religion of that time doesn't make you a Christian. However, it is personal. It is something that we must do independent, but we do it together. We do it communally. It's only Jesus. There's one Jesus, one gospel, one church uh, that we are called out of sin into the church together to walk in this together. It's personal. It's communal, but it's not catch-all. It's not catch-all. It's conviction. It's not powerless. You ever heard that? Some will define faith as, oh, that's just for the weak. That's just for the ignorant. That's just for the naive. That's just uh, for those that uh, have some wishful thinking. It's not blind wishful thinking. It's not for the weak. It's not just a crutch for the simple. This is a personal conviction that governs how we live based on reason, based on facts, based on undeniable evidence of who Christ is and how we must live our life. So how do we make this faith personal? How do we make it our own? We examine our heart. And do I believe that Jesus died for my sin? Do I believe that my sin put him there? That's personal, isn't it? That's a personal question. That's a personal faith. That's a personal conviction. I should have hung on that cross. I've offended God. I deserve his wrath. Christ took it for me. It's different to say that, yeah, Christ, I've sinned. He was there. The cross is real. That's all stuff happened. But it was me who put him there. This is the core of the faith. This is the core of Christianity. We can't miss this. We can't miss it. To miss it is fatal. So look at what verse 6 says. 
faith is necessary. Faith is necessary. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith, every attempt we make to be near God, be heard by God, to please God, to get His attention will not work must believe that he exists, that he is who the Bible says he is. He is holy, righteous, just, good, faithful, loving, gracious, merciful God. You must believe that Christ died upon the cross for your sin. Repent of it. Turn towards Christ, seeking him. He rewards those who seek him in that way. He is able to be known. He's faithful to his promises to forgive, save, and give us help by his Holy Spirit. That's what faith is. It's necessary. We can't get in any other way. Anything out less than that won't save. And anything added to it won't either. Faith in Christ is like, it's like a key. It's like a key that gives you access to God. We can't make it up on our own. We can't, we can't uh, fashion it out of anything. We can try all sorts of things. We can try to stick different types of keys in there. It's not going to get us access. We try to stick other uh, objects in there. Keychains. Little clips, it's not going to get us access. We can try, we can try, we can try. We can try to create things, we can try to believe in other things, we can try to do it our own way. We're not going to ever get in. You need the key that is Christ Jesus. You need the key that is Christ Jesus. That's the confident assurance. This is what we have. This is the key that has been won by Christ and distributed by His Spirit to His children. This is how we get in. This is what is core to our faith. This is what we sing about. This is why we gather. This is why we live. This is how we have assurance in a chaotic world. This is why we have conviction in a whimsical world. What Christ has done. This is essential to our faith. This is essential to being declared right with God. This is what the scriptures teach. This is what Christ came to do. This is what our church is about. This is what following Christ is about in faith. Have you made that public? As you examine your life, have you made that public? It's that confident, transformative belief that you have in God evident to others. Not so that I am known, but so that as Christ is known through me. Is there that obvious difference in how you live your life, respond to tragedy, spend your, your free time, raise your kids, how you speak, how you live, how you honor others? shapes how we live. It shapes how we think. When God has gripped our heart in such a way, what can we do but tell others? So there's many ways that, that we do this. This is why Christ gave us baptism. We are baptized. That is a symbol that, that God has given us that I, I puts on display our unity with Christ, that we are identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. As we are immersed and dunked in the water, we're saying, I was once an old person, but now I'm a new creation been forgiven of my sin. I've been washed of my sin. And that's a sign. That's a way to tell those around us. I believe in Jesus. So we take communion. It illustrates that as the way that we live our life in marriage is an illustration to a watching world of how uh, Christ has, uh, how Christ relates to the church. And as husbands love their wives, Sacrifice for their wives and as wives respect and submit to their husband. That shows a watching world that I am in 
Christ. This just shows the gospel. It just puts it on display. How we live in community with one another shows a watching world that there is something about the way these people live in a compelling community that is different. It shows a confident, transformative faith that is necessary. Without faith, can we please God? Anything that we do without faith, it's not commended, it's not pleasing. Have you made it public? Is your faith an on display? You have that faith, that confident, transformative belief in God and his promises? put into action, that's basic, that's supernatural, that's personal, that's necessary. Faith means that God has gripped you in such a way that you lay aside your own preferences, your own desires, your own aspirations for His way and obedience to His word. That's faith. That's essential. That's what we stand on. Don't miss that today. This is what we go from. From here governs everything else. You've examined your heart. We've had lots of examination questions. They're meant to kind of sweep out the corners of our heart. We're about to sing a, a song. We're about to close in, in prayer and worship. Don't leave without examining where you stand in the faith. Who you believe in. What you've done in light of that truth. That's faith. That's essential. That's what we stand on. Let's pray.